Hello and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. And uh, I guess I should say welcome back to the Tech Dirt Podcast as we took a little bit of a hiatus for much of December and January for no reason other than that I was just incredibly busy on a variety of different projects. Uh, either way, we are back now and should be getting back to a regular podcast schedule pretty quickly. Uh, today's podcast was actually the live event that we held last week uh, as the conclusion to our Greenhouse Symposium, looking back at 10 years after the SOPA fight. And that was with special guest representative Zoe Lofgren. Uh, the event is me interviewing Lofgren about what happened 10 years ago and uh, what it means today regarding Congress and internet regulations. Please enjoy. The world is increasingly technological. So we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Fighting and taking on all the blatant pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Hello. Everyone, thank you so much for coming and welcome to our event on uh, remembering the fight against SOPA from a decade ago. Now that time flies at an incredible pace and we've already gone through a, a whole decade since, since that interesting fight. Uh, we will have our special guest, uh, Representative Zoe Lofgren, up here soon. Uh, for those of you who have not attended one of our uh, Remo-based events in the past. I hope you had a few minutes before we got started to explore a little bit of how the system works. Uh, it is designed to mimic somewhat, you know, a, of an in-person event uh, from back in the days when we had in-person events, uh, meaning that when we're not broadcasting from the stage, like like I am right now, uh, you can chat with the other people at your table or you can move around to other tables and talk to other people. Uh, there are a whole bunch of very, very knowledgeable, very, very thoughtful tech policy folks here attending uh, based on the signups that we saw. And I am hoping that after our talk with Representative Lofgren, many of you will stick around and engage in some conversations with each other. Uh, in the past, we've often posted sort of starter questions for the, those table conversations, but you know, we've kind of learned that you're all smart enough to figure out how to come up with conversation points on your own. Uh, but if you do need something as a conversation starter, I'd ask that you kick it off by discussing the state of internet policy today, which will be a key theme uh, in our conversation in a moment. Uh, before we get started with the conversation uh, with Representative Lofgren, uh, we have a few thank yous. Uh, first, thank you to everyone for attending. Uh, I know that there is a lot of stuff going on uh, all the time, and so I always appreciate the willingness of anyone uh, willing to give us any amount of their time. So thank you very much to all of you. Uh, second, I want to thank uh, the organizations who sponsored uh, the SOPA content series and this event today, including Discord, Automatic, Google, GitHub, and Twitter. So thank you all very much. Uh, and then one final point before we bring it up our guest of honor. Uh, there is a chat feature and a Q&A feature here in Remo, uh, and so you should see them on your screen. You can make use of either of them. Uh, we'll be sorting through any of the questions, and I will potentially be taking some of them and asking them to Representative Lofgren. Um, 
as we go through the event. Uh, also, I hope this won't be an issue, but I would like to remind people that if anyone is being abusive or problematic, we reserve the right to remove you from the event. Uh, now, I hope that is not necessary. So on to the main reason that we are all here today. I am sure that most of you, if you are Representative Zoe Lofgren is. Uh, she's been in Congress since 1995, representing California's 19th district, covering parts of San Jose and Silicon Valley. And many people also obviously know the crucial role that she's played for many, many years in various congressional debates on a wide range of tech policy issues. Uh, but I wanted to kick this off by mentioning something that I think is really important uh, in these times when I think people sometimes get a little cynical about politics. And the thing that impresses me personally about uh, Representative Lofgren is not just the sort of principled stance that she takes on these tech issues, but the fact that she acts in a manner that I think everyone hopes politicians would act and that she is deeply thoughtful uh, and very willing to look into uh, the nuances and trade-offs and, and really important questions in discussing different policy issues. And she looks not at what is most the uh, you know most politically expedient, uh, like some people do, unfortunately, but what is actually the right thing to do. Uh, in multiple conversations that I've had with her over the years, I always come away thinking how much better uh, both the policy and political worlds would be if all elected officials were more like Zoe and less focused on just sort of winning this or that point. And so with that, I would like to welcome Representative Zoe Lofgren to the stage. So, uh, Zoe, yeah, there you are. All there right. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike, for such nice comments. I you're more generous than than you should be. <laughs> oh no, no, it is all all well deserved. Uh, so we are starting today, and everyone's here today because we're we're we wanted to sort of remember what happened a decade ago with SOPA, and um, obviously you were really central to to that and to to making it so that it was possible to stop SOPA. And uh, you have a piece in, in our series, our Greenhouse series, um, in which you sort of detailed, you know, the view from your side. And I thought that was that was really interesting. But I wanted to just kick this off by asking you what what you know, what was your impression uh, from inside the Capitol, um, you know, during during the uh, the fight against SOPA? Well, I, I think um, one of the essays said, you know, this was just, there was an inevitability to the act and all of the uh, important um, outside actors were lined up, both in the Senate bill and the House bill. And I was concerned that um, the people who wanted a free internet were not even paying attention. I remember... Uh, I was asked to speak at a luncheon meeting at Mozilla in uh, Mountain View. And I made the, the two bills, the complete topic of my lunch and said, you got to wake up. Um, and I think that they were full of tech, technically uh, proficient uh, activists. And I hope that it had a role in making, alerting people to the threat. Um, really, uh, it, it seemed to me, given uh, how things were lining up in the Congress itself, that the only way to uh, avoid what would have been really a, a fairly catastrophic uh, assault on the architecture of the Internet itself 
would be for the internet users uh, to speak up. Though we weren't going to win the inside game, it had to right. be the people of America. And I remember a, a conference call we had in November before the markup and uh, Aaron Swartz and others uh, were on that call. And, uh, you know, what you know when you are in the legislative body and what you know outside can be two different things. The most important thing at that time was members of Congress getting phone calls from their district. Um, right. Not emails, although emails count, and they certainly do now more than they did 10 years ago. And so that there had to be a massive outpouring uh, from people. And, um, you know, that's what we organized. We also organized uh, a series of amendments. I think my staff um, wrote almost all of them, and we distributed them, you know, to our allies uh, in this quest. Uh, it, it seemed to me we weren't quite ready in December. And I remember, and I, I'm a big fan of Howard Berman. He's my friend, but we mm-hmm. didn't see this bill the same. We worked <laughs> together on immigration matters all the time. Um, but he felt that he had this in the bag and he was not willing to discuss ways to improve it. Um, and I understood that. And uh, I refused to allow the waving of the reading of the bill, so which irked a heck out of him. But it did buy us a couple of hours, which turned out to be key because we couldn't finish the markup in December. And then, of course, the organizing occurred. And um, the number of phone calls, I think, was unprecedented. I don't think it had ever happened in the House before. And I remember walking down uh, the hallway and just hearing phone calls ringing. I mean, it was like echoing across uh, the Capitol and um, the rest is history. Yeah. I mean, there were a few interesting things to me. So one, and and I've said this a few times, was that, you know, my impression when when the bills came out, both the the Senate version and the House version, they had you know, a huge number of co-sponsors and, and the, the sense was that, that they were definitely going to pass. And, and in talking with the various sort of, you know, activist folks, um, especially the, the more experienced ones on, on various copyright debates going back, you know, a couple decades, the sense was we're going to fight, we're going to make a lot of noise and then we're going to lose and we're going to just accept that. Um, and, you know, I've said that there were some people like Aaron Schwartz and and some others who were just like, no, like this is too important. Like we're not going to lose this one and we're going to fight and we're actually going to win. Um, and, and to me at the time, like I've admitted this a bunch of times, like I, I thought that was kind of a naive view. Like there's no way we could actually stop this bill. Uh, and I was wrong. Uh, and, you know, and, and just this sort of belief, this sort of, you know, combination, this coalescing of, you know, the sort of, old cynical guard who thought, you know, we could make noise and lose and the sort of, you know, young naive folks who were just like, no, this is too important. We're going to make so much noise that we have to win. Um, I thought that was a really, really important part of this. Um, is that like, from your point of view, did you, did you have a similar kind of sense or did it, did it seem different, uh, you know, from, from your vantage point? I thought it was possible to win. Um, you know, generally I don't like to just make a point and lose if it's an important issue. Um, You know, we put together a very comprehensive fact-based 
a position during the markup. I mentioned Stuart Baker, who was, you know, very conservative, you know, national security hawk, sent in a letter saying that the proposal relative to diversion of uh, DNS was a national security threat. I think it's probably the only time Baker and I have ever agreed on anything. <laughs> I remember talking to uh, Mr. Dr. Napolitano, who headed uh, cybersecurity at the Alamos National Lab. What was his viewpoint? And he, you know, just volunteered. This was, you know, a terrible threat to cybersecurity and offered to write a letter to that effect and other engineers uh, coming forward. So, um, you know, the point was clear um, on, you know, a whole variety of problems with it. And I think most of the co-sponsors of the bill you know, had been led to believe this was, you know, a good government thing. I mean, who's for piracy? Not me. Um, So, and that everybody was for it. And the more co-sponsors there were, the safer it seemed to be. And when the roof fell in, it was like, I'm out of here. I, you know, I knew when Marsha Blackburn went down to the floor to have her name taken off the bill, which was, I mean, dozens of people were doing that that this was over. Now, um, you know, individuals propelled the call-ins and the emails, but I remember the blackout was everything from gigantic companies to smaller uh, uh, issues. Google couldn't blackout because of the role that they play in information. I understood right. that, but they did uh, an important service which was to provide the pros and cons of the bill and allow for people to automatically phone in or email in. And that made it very convenient for people um, to express an opinion. Um, I remember uh, Craigslist jumped the gun the day before and I emailed Craig saying, you know, it's the next day, please. (laughs) Um, But uh, you know, it was massive and, um, in the end, the, the members of Congress, they don't vote, they're, they're not elected by a company or by a lobbyist. They're elected by the, the voters in their districts. Right. And there's no voice more important than that. Yeah. And, I, and you know, I, I've seen some attempts by by some people who were in favor of SOPA sort of now trying to kind of rewrite history and and claim that the the defeat of SOPA was really driven by by company involvement, um, and I I think that is not at all what happened uh, for those of us who were there, where you really had sort of you know these these activists who were the ones who convinced companies to engage and to to um, take part in the in the blackout in January, um, and that was that was a big big lift and involved a lot of people yelling at a lot of companies that, you know, if, if this bill goes through, it's going to be really damaging for, for the internet that you rely on. Um, and so well, I think that's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, talk about defeatist, um, the tech companies thought, well, you know, we're going to lose and da, 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 da. Yeah. And, you know, I uh, remember talking to Eric Schmidt saying, you know, how does Google function when the architecture of the internet is uh, so severely disrupted. Just tell me that, not policy or how does it function? And it wouldn't, Uh, you couldn't do the search. And so um, in the end, 
they they didn't want to, uh, and I understand this. Um, you know, people rely on Google to get search results on you know what's happening in the stock market. What's doing? I mean, there's it's it's almost a utility that um, would be very disruptive. On the other hand, to do a pro and con, which they were very insistent on, and I think rightfully so, uh, and then allow people an easy way to connect was an important element of it. But it wasn't, I mean, the company lobbyists weren't going to win this. The only thing that that was persuasive were internet users who called and emailed and said no. You know, I, I do think in the 10 years since, um, and I remember talking to some of my colleagues on the committee proponents that we were going to see a coming together of media and tech in a way that they were not really appreciating. And I think that actually has happened. Uh, Tech platforms are now the delivery system for content. I'm not saying this is perfect yet from anybody's point of view, but um, just think about our pandemic and the role that uh, platforms have played to allow you know, the movie industry, I love the movie industry, but you couldn't get movies um, during the pandemic absent the internet. Yeah. And luckily, we've now got platforms where, you know, the movie makers can get paid, which is what they should be uh, getting yeah. paid for their creative work. And the Music Modernization Act, I mean, that was something we got the tech sector and the songwriters together in a way that was useful and productive. I hope we can do more of that in the future. Yeah. And I think, you know, I I think that was a really interesting thing, you know, from now from a few years ago, the Music Modernization Act, which was this, this, you know, almost unprecedented situation in which you had a copyright bill wasn't perfect, right? And people had complaints on on the margins, right? But overall, you had almost everyone recognize like, we have a real problem with with certain elements of of this system. And here are ways that it can actually be fixed. And, And it was one of these you know, very, very rare in the copyright space, you know, especially bills that everyone was like, yeah, you know, this, this actually is probably, probably for the best. Uh, and we're, we're seeing some of the fruits of that now. Uh, with, with different I'll just say that, that I won't, won't mention the name of this person, but uh, a f- personal friend who is very involved in the uh, songwriting industry mm-hmm. and who said just casually, you know, these tech guys, they aren't so bad after all. <laughs> it's like there was a lot of communication and I think it was, it was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's important. So, and that, that brings us sort of, you know, moving forward from, from the SOPA fight. Uh, you know, I did want to ask, you know, for, for, for a few years, sort of like right after SOPA, there's all this talk about how like, you know, members of Congress were kind of scared, um, that they would get SOPA, you know, on, on this or that bill. Um, Was that true? Like, were people concerned about that? Were people more concerned about how, how people would react? And, and is that feeling still there or what do you think? Okay. I think most, well, you have to know that more than half of the Congress was, has been elected since SOPA. Right. So they have no personal um, experience with it. Uh, they may or may not even have been aware of it when it was happening. So it's not an immediate thing. Certainly after it was such a huge event that people certainly didn't want to have that kind of dust up again. Um, so, but I, I, and obviously the issues have, have changed. 
it, it is important to have a free internet, but certainly the challenges that um, some platforms are posing to civil society are very severe and important. And so, you know, the discussion is not exactly the same. Right. Um, however, I mean, it's as we have those discussions, important as they are, we can't lose track of uh, the value of getting information. You know, I, recently, someone asked me about, you know, a disease that someone had in 1989. It's like, well, who would know that? I mean, Google didn't exist. <laughs> People couldn't find out information. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of incredible how how quickly we are to sort of normalize, like the things that are here, we just assume that they like, that they always existed and, and were great. And, and everybody's so focused on sort of, you know, the problems, which are, there are real problems, but they're, they're less willing to consider like, you know, some of these, some of the potential solutions that are, are um, you know, put up to, to try and solve the problems might actually take away some of the, the very real benefits. Um, well, and, and also just as with, uh, the SOPA, some of the things that are advanced are written in such a way that they have, I assume, unintended consequences that are, you know, not well suited to solve the identified problem. That's a constant problem with legislation in, in the Congress. Yeah. So let's, why don't we, we talk a little bit about kind of the more modern uh, you know, tech policy, internet policy questions that are, are being faced today. I know that there are a whole bunch of, of different issues and people, you know, copyright is still an issue, but also I think, I think much more prevalent nowadays, people are talking about questions around content moderation. People are talking about questions about antitrust. People are talking about questions about privacy. Um, there are a whole bunch of other things as well. And, and the issues there are seem to be fairly complex and, and involve a lot of nuance um, and maybe don't line up as neatly as, as the SOFA fight did. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's worth discussing some of those. Um, do you want to start with, with, with privacy? Because I know that, that you and uh, Representative Eshoo um, uh, had put together a bill on privacy issues. So do you want to talk a little bit about sure. that? Sure. You know, I, I think there is general concern. Well, let me back up because the concerns being expressed by a lot of the conservatives in the Congress are that they are somehow being censored by platforms. Mm. I don't think there's very good evidence of that, but that's their stated concern. On the Democratic side of the aisle, there's concern that there isn't enough uh, control right. of content. So although uh, there are certain legislators that are bashing, you know, t the tech world writ large, they're coming from completely different places. And uh, I, I really have a, a, a very serious concern about the man manipulation and misinformation that has been utilized by rogue actors, including foreign adversaries, to the detriment of our democracy and civil society, and also in some cases for commercial purposes. And the question is what to do about that. Um, the proposals um, that are talked about most, I think have the least likely possibility of affecting that. And I do think the major approach is privacy. Um, Representative Eshoo, who also represents a part of a big part of Silicon Valley and is on the Energy and Commerce 
committee, which has the major jurisdiction, uh, and I wrote a bill that really reduces the capacity of uh, tech platforms to collect information and to retain it uh, for uh, beyond what they need for the function that is being accomplished. And really, if you don't have the database, you can't manipulate. Um, so right. that really, I think, is a much more promising approach to protecting ourselves from this, um, these manipulations that have caused such problems for civil society. And um, it's, it seems like, you know, again, this is very much from an outsider perspective, but it, it feels like, you know, there are different bills that are being introduced that each sort of try and tackle like one one thing that they see as problematic, but often without recognizing how the ecosystem is all interconnected. So like what you said there, where, you know, privacy is a path towards solving some of these issues potentially. Um, it feels like a lot of the approaches that I've seen don't seem to take into account like how, how that will impact the wider ecosystem. So for example, I've seen other privacy proposals that I think, you know, harm the competition question because they'll create a, a situation where only the largest companies are able right. to, to deal with it. Um, and that's, that's true of some of the other issues as well. You know, how much, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much you want to get into like the sausage making process, but like how, how much, you know, how much do, do representatives think about these things and how much of it is that like, Oh, I see this problem. I'm going to write a bill to solve this problem without considering kind of the wider impact. Well, I, I can't talk for others, but Anna and I spent over a year um, working on this bill and our staffs obviously did a lot of the legwork for us, but we personally got into the discussion of the pros and cons. We reached out widely um, to academics, to engineers, to, to companies, to civil society. I mean, across the board to get input and uh, it was very helpful. Um, and there were some issues brought to our attention that we thought were meritorious. For example, you don't want in a privacy bill just to entrench the big guys. Um, you want to make sure that you haven't prevented startups and small people from having a great ecosystem to be successful. So we've done quite a robust carve out uh, for small businesses in, in, that we think and what we've heard from that sector will work. Um, you know, Writing a bill is the beginning of the process, not the end of the process, but we think this is a pretty good measure and most of the um, internet uh, freedom organizations have supported it as the most uh, refined and effective piece of legislation that has been introduced on the subject. Um, I mean, so you talked about how you, you you guys and your staff, you know, spent all this time kind of going back and forth and trying to understand the different trade-offs. Um, you know, is, is there a process for that to, to occur on other bills? Like it feels often like that there's not that. Uh, and and I, again, this is totally from the outside and sort of part of yeah. my frustration is, is that we see these bills and it feels like nobody's actually listening to, <clears throat> to the problems. Well, I think there are times, and I've said this publicly, I don't want to be unduly negative, sure. but you know, some of the bills that have come out of the Judiciary Committee are not well, uh, uh, well drafted. I mean, it's, I don't know how else to say it, um, where you say, okay, what does this term mean? Uh, you know, um, where 
there may be hearings, but it looks like the actual crafting of the legislation done in secret and then sprung out at the last minute, it's just not up to snuff. And, um, you know, it creates problems. Um, I guess um, I don't really understand why. I mean, what we did with our bill, Anna and I, we spent a year ourselves, and then we put it out there so people could get, you know, it's been out in the public arena for quite some time, mm-hmm. and we hope to have a hearing soon. Um, but it's not like we're just going to spring this on people and then, you know, think we can jam it through without a process. That doesn't lead to good law lawmaking, in my judgment. Yeah. So speaking of which, I don't, I don't know if this is fair to the bill, but 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 uh, so just yesterday, um, the the. Uh, America Competes Act, I guess, which is sort mm-hmm. of the renamed uh, whatever it was before, USICA yeah. or Endless Frontiers or, or whatever, yeah. um, which is a bill that that I think it's has a really bill. A, a really important and good intent to to sort of you know uh, get American innovation going and, and and stronger, and I think there's a lot of really important stuff in there, um, but the bill that came out yesterday is almost 3000 pages long and it looks like they inserted a bunch of other bills um, that I'm not quite sure why they fit into this particular bill. Uh, and and one of which I wanted to ask about is the shop safe uh, yep. bill, which, you know, came out last year. Um, and we, we, we had, I think three or four posts about what we saw as very, very serious problems with it. I, I find shop safe to be extremely concerning and yet it is word for word in the the america competes act so um i, I did want to ask you a little bit about that and kind of your your thoughts on on shop safe in particular and and the process of having it included in in the, the competes act well um there was a markup in the judiciary committee and i did raise a number of the issues that i think you share um i think uh it's a good example of uh, drafting of a bill that really is not quite ready for prime time in my judgment. Um, I, um, well, yard sales could be prohibited. Um, it, whether this was the intention or not, it would cement the dominance of Amazon as a platform, which I don't think is the role that Congress should play. Um, just the way that it is, it is, uh, crafted. Um, During the markup, the chairman of the committee said that, uh, you know, he would reach out to me and incorporate my suggestions and refine it before it got to the the floor. That never happened. Um, So I didn't know that uh, it was going to be put in the bill until the bill was posted at the Rules Committee. I I think it's worth pointing out that the competing bill from uh, Jan Schakowsky, the Inform Act, is also included. So I right. think it's sort of competing approaches to um, problems on internet sales. And I think there are legitimate and concerning issues. Um, you know, there are medicines that are tainted. There are toys that are dangerous and defective. There are uh, goods that are counterfeit. I mean, there is a problem. And sure. especially when the safety issues come into play, um, you know, we have a, consumer product safety uh, unit that especially looks at toys because uh, kids can be very harmed uh, by defective toys. So 
I, you know, I think I'm not saying it's perfect, but the Schakowsky bill, the Inform Act, takes a more regulatory approach to try and, uh, you know, make sure that the marketplace is safe. Whereas, um, and safe not only in terms of, uh, you know, safety of goods, but also uh, infringement, which is, you know, people's rights need to be protected. Um, the the Shop Act takes an entirely kind of uh, IP approach, which generally is the regulatory approach tends to be uh, superior. And if you take a look at the jurisdictions of the committee, sometimes I think it's about who gets to do what. You know, the <laughs> the regulation is in the Energy and Commerce Committee, where Jan Schakowsky serves, and the Intellectual Property is in the Judiciary Committee, where the chairman serves. And so the two bills are within the jurisdiction of the committee, but it's, I think the IP approach is not the right one in, in protecting. And um, so I think this will move forward with both pieces and uh, chances are that uh, the best approach will prevail in the conference committee. So, um, do you have any sense of why, like why both of these know. bills were, were, were put into it? I mean, to me, that I, I just have problems with, with any sort of situation where you've loaded up a whole bunch of bills into kind of a, a single. Well, I understand that. <laughs> I understand that. But there are, um, <clears throat> you know, there's very few moving vehicles. Sure. Where the Senate and the House agree, and we've seen how dysfunctional uh, the Senate is. It's a 50-50 Senate to do any legislation. You need 60 votes and it's tough to get 60 votes for anything. And so right. a lot of good potential laws are just stuck over there. So if there's something that can become law, it's it's a, a phenomena that people want to <laughs> see what can be put in that will uh, be able to get through the Senate. Um, and I uh, you know, there are other things in there. It's posted. There's no secret in it. Um, right. But we will have a conference committee. And I, uh, my guess is that the um, regulatory approach, since it is uh, superior, will prevail. I mean, there's something else that's in there, which I agree with. There was a, there were some antitrust bills that are very poorly written and are, would, I mean, it, pathetic really but there was one that was really a good idea which is to increase uh the fees on companies that are merging and take mm -hmm. all that money and put it into an antitrust enforcement which i think is a good idea and uh, there's not and probably we need more money even than that in antitrust enforcement it's been kind of quiescent and there are new people over uh, in both the FTC and DOJ, who are going to be more aggressive on antitrust, which I think is good, uh, but they need the resources. And so there was general agreement on that, and but it was in Build Back Better that is now flailing. So that's right. also in this bill, and I think it's a good idea. Yeah, and and I, I mean, there were definitely other things in the bill that I think are, are good too, but it, it's sort of you know frustrating to to to, to see the sort of trade off from from um, one to the other, and and then just one final point on on the shop shop safe bill, um, you know it 
to me, you know, one of the biggest concerns is that it is sort of setting up, um, you know, not just an IP based approach, which is part of it, but it is sort of a very, very strict, much stricter than we yeah. currently see in the copyright space for, for trademark counterfeit goods. And there is a fear that, that going, getting back to the copyright question that, if this approach goes through, then there's going to be an effort by then the copyright industries to say, oh, wait, trademark gets these really aggressive, super aggressive, uh, you know, sort of enforcement setups. You know, why can't we have that for copyright as well? So my fear with ShopSafe is that not just that how bad it would be for marketplaces right now, but then how it would would spread. <laughs> in, well, in I understand. Like but if you take a look at how it's drafted, it would um, really all but the the tiniest e-commerce sites would be affected. And, you know, using filtering tech, I mean, I don't think all of the little sellers on eBay have the yeah. capacity to do that. They don't. And if you, I think in order to be exempted, you'd have to sell five or fewer goods. Well, I got people in my neighborhood who sell <laughs> more than that. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, so it's going to, it would catch people up in ways that were completely unintended. And actually people uh, in the country would be really ticked off. Um, so I do think, um, <clears throat> I, I don't expect this to become law, honestly. And if it were looking that way, I think there are a lot of people who would be calling their members of Congress saying, well, wait a minute. Right. Um. Do we want to talk a little bit? I mean, uh, we talked. You talked a little bit about content moderation, how you have sort of Republicans on one side and Democrats on the other. So that feels kind of like that it's it's not going anywhere right now. Though there are some bills that impact two thirty that are sort right. of you know show up, and occasionally you get ones with bipartisan support. Um, you know, do you think that there's any any significant support around attempts to amend two thirty? Well, I think the fact that there's bipartisan support for a bad idea doesn't mean that it's, you know, a good idea. <laughs> of course. Um, really, I mean, the former president said, you know, get the tech companies, repeal Section 230. It would not have the impact that he thinks. In fact, it would uh, have the opposite impact of what he right. thinks. Um, it would also... Um, solidify to a tremendous extent the primacy of the biggest platforms, which is not really what I'm trying to do. It's not what I want. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, the public is talking about it. Most people don't even know what it is. And I, unfortunately, some of the members of Congress don't either. People want, they want a resolution to the problems that we've identified. Right. And, 230 repeal doesn't provide that. And there is a anti-tech feeling among members of Congress in some cases. I understand that. Some of it is anti-California feeling, which I'm well aware of over the years. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't excuse us uh, or permit us to adopt uh, legislative policies that are counterproductive. You can do discrete, um, you know, when Backdoor was the, the subject of a change, I mean, Backdoor had already been indicted. They've convicted them under the prior law. They're, and as a matter of fact... The, uh, Backpage, sorry. Backpage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Jeff Sessions, when he was AG, sent over a letter saying this new legislation will make it harder to convict people. I, I mean, right. You know, um, <laughs> and, and, and now that's been borne out, right? There was a GAO yes, report that, that showed exactly. That. Yeah. So, I mean, I made that point. It's like, nobody wants to say that that's going to make it harder because we're all against, you know, abusing women and human trafficking. It's terrible, but that doesn't mean a bad idea is, is a good idea. Right. Prosecute them. We had the tools, we got them and we can get some more, but not so much anymore. Yeah. Um, and so relatedly, I, I did want to touch a little bit on the antitrust question. Uh, sure. You know, we've talked about the the concerns about, you know, companies being dominant and 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 some of these bills making them more dominant. I, I, I think there's something like over 100 different antitrust bills. I, I lost count at some point. Um, and again, like I'm, I'm a big believer in like more competition, but but it feels like many of these bills actually don't help with that situation that they're they're sort of very targeted at being punitive towards certain companies like we don't like these companies therefore we need to punish them rather than what will lead to actually generating more competition so i was wondering what your take was on on some of the the sort of antitrust competition bills that are out there right now well i think the the bills uh, marked up in the judiciary committee are very poorly uh, crafted um Basically, they're not antitrust bills. They, they're breakup bills. They have, right. by a defining who is covered and by basically saying anything you do is a violation, and by changing the standard for injunctive relief from what it's always been, which is a showing of irreparable harm and likelihood uh, of prevailing at, at trial, which is based in due process to a plausible case. That's the standard they put in. I mean, it's uh, clearly unconstitutional. Um, the idea is to break up four companies. Right. So I don't see, I mean, number one, that will be in court for the next half decade. Number two, I don't know that, that breaking up a co- company is a remedy. It's not a goal. Right. Right. And so if you had antitrust action and the only remedy was a breakup, well, then a court would order it. We've had that before with the phone companies. And but um, it's not just a goal. Um, Right. The other thing is that the things that are causing problems for people will not be solved by that. Take a look at Facebook and some of the really terrible problems that have been identified there in terms of manipulating teenagers, manipulating politically. Okay, let's say you you break off WhatsApp. Think it's going to save the teenagers? <laughs> no. Um, right. It's, it's you know, the, the subcommittee, which I'm not on, had all these hearings, high-profile hearings, you know, calling out CEOs and like, and on and on. I think they spent, you know, like six, seven, eight months and months on hearings. I don't, it looks like they spent a week on drafting. So um, I think, you know, we'll see what happens. I know that Senator Klobuchar has uh, companion bills. They made a few improvements over there, but the basic architecture is still problematic. So here's the question that I'm still grappling with. We have had problematic mergers and acquisitions. Do we need to change the law to prevent that? Because they weren't challenged. I don't know why right. DOJ or FTC never 
never challenged those pro problematic mergers. <clears throat> but I'm open if we need, you know, to, to review that. I'm not against doing that. Um, if you are manipulating um, a, a platform to disadvantage your competitors and you are uh, the big dog, you know, in that field, I think you're, you got a antitrust problem right now. And we've seen uh, some cases brought about against micro, uh, against Google in mm -hmm. terms of their ad work. They've got a problem in Europe and they may have a problem here. Fine. I mean, if you need to go after that for competition, good at you. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know that the current state of the law prevents that. So I think we ought to take a look at not just let's take down four, co four companies, but let's take a look at what tools we need to provide so that a competition can be promoted. But I'll say this as well. I, I remember <clears throat> when Microsoft had Internet uh, Explorer and it was loaded on all of their, all of their uh, stuff. And I it was in the 90s and I would come home and Democratic leaders would come and every time we did that, we'd stop in at Netscape and meet with Mark Andreessen and people would be, that people were complaining that the Department of Justice ought to do something. Finally, the Department of Justice did something. By that time, that case was done. It was meaningless, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. We got Firefox. We got everything. We got <laughs> duck, duck, go. It's, it didn't mean, I mean, litigation as compared to regulation is usually not the white effective way to go. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to take some of the, the questions we've been getting question a few questions in from from the audience. Um, and so um, Duncan, uh, who I believe you know, uh, wrote and said that uh, many lawmakers lack of technical knowledge was sometimes embarrassingly on display in the, the SOPA hearings. Um, and you know, as we had mentioned earlier, SOPA can't happen for every legislative proposal. So what is your sense of Congress's tech acumen today? It's varied. I mean, um, <clears throat> there are people who don't know anything, and then there are people who know a lot. And you're not going to be able to tell who's who from the outside. Um, hmm. I do think that, uh, you know, I'm not a, a computer scientist, so I rely on uh, technical people. Um, I, you know, there, there's, I don't think there's a single computer scientist in, in the Congress. We have some, uh, a few scientists. I mean, Jerry McNerney has his PhD in mathematics. He's retiring. Unfortunately, I will miss him. Uh, Bill Foster's got his PhD in physics and a few others, but mainly, uh, there aren't technical people in the Congress. And, uh, I try and keep up. I try to make it clear what I don't know, because if you don't do that, then you won't learn, right? Right. Um, I know there's always some efforts to sort of like uh, refund uh, the the OTA, the, the Office of Technology Assessment. <coughs> do you think that is, uh, is there any chance of anything like that occurring again and, and helping inform members of Congress on technology issues? Well, actually, I'm, I'm someone who has not been necessarily an advocate for that. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the few members of Congress who was around when we still had an OTA. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about technology is it, it's got to be lively. It's got to be up to date. And, and 
I didn't think that they were always at the cutting edge in their reports. Um, so, you know, having something that is, you know, it's a tricky because you don't want to, you don't want somebody with an ax to grind given the information. So OTA is good from that point of view, but you also need to have a, a certain liveliness to get out of the capital itself when you've got technology that is changing so quickly and profoundly. So, um, you know, it's very much a mixed bag. I mean, I, I wouldn't sure. object to it being uh, back in existence, but I don't think it's the, the, the big solution that a lot of proponents think. Okay. Um, we have a question from, from Carl Malmud uh, saying that- Hey, Carl. <laughs> For the the uh, SOPA uh, blackout day, um, the phone calls that were driven, you know, clearly had an impact. Um, but he's wondering if if the the websites blacking out themselves actually had an impact. Did, did members actually see that? I know that a lot of the blackout websites drove people to call, so maybe it's hard mm -hmm. to separate the two. But was it was it really the calls? Do you think that just what what was it that that actually it had was the, the calls? It was, it the, was calls. the calls. Um, I mean, you know, the staff that tend to be more tech involved than the Congress members were seeing the blackouts. I'm not sure all the members even saw it, but you couldn't walk down the hall without hearing, you know, tens of thousands of calls being made. Yeah, I was actually in D.C. for a conference that week when it happened. So I, I so that the day of the blackout, I was actually walking around Congress and I I heard the calls. And it is you know normally fairly quiet when you walk around, but mm -hmm. it was just every door you walk past, you just heard the phone ringing. It was really quite incredible. Uh, I still remember that very clearly. Uh, so uh, Eric Peterson has a question. Uh, again, sort of taking the like, what lessons are there from SOPA when it comes to 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 these more modern issues? Are there things you know? You know, one of the the complaints that some people have had is that you know, what happened with SOPA didn't turn into sort of like an ongoing you know sort of pro internet kind of coalition. And now I think a lot of the issues are a little bit more complicated and a little bit more nuanced. And you have people mm -hmm. on, on different views. Are there lessons? from what happened in SOPA that, that would be useful today in terms of you know, helping to promote a, a better uh, internet? Well, I think there are. I mean, one of the discussions that we had uh, 10 years ago was, uh, would you be setting a precedent that would be um, you know, unfair, that you sort of unleash people in a way that would be um, you know, abusive? And I argued that, you know, that was insulting to internet users. People weren't going to call unless they cared about it. And they weren't going to care about it unless it was important. So you're not going to, it's not as if all the thousands and thousands of people who called and emailed were just waiting to be told what to do. I mean, they weren't. They were concerned about what the impact would be on internet freedom. Uh, if there was another internet freedom issue, uh, that's important and goes to the uh, capacity of internet users to be free, I think you could organize a similar thing. It's important to know that um, somebody's saying Ted Lou has a CS degree. You're absolutely right. And he is a brilliant guy. And I almost I apologize. brought that up. <laughs> I apologize because he's really smart and a, a good friend and a, a terrific member of the Judiciary Committee. So that on me. Um, but, um, I do think you, you need a coalition, um, mm -hmm. 
And the coalition actually has to involve the big platforms in order to allow people. Now, it's less true today because there's such a proliferation of platforms. Um, But honestly, I think like 7 million of the emails came from people uh, from Google uh, Hmm. that that put up the um, the option to go to your own member of Congress. so, so another another question that we got was, um, and this this was reflected a little bit in one of the essays that we had from with, uh, from John from from Public Knowledge um, about you know are, are we going to see sort of uh, in the question it says death by a thousand cuts so it's this idea that like little bits of what we're in SOPA yeah. and, and PIPA and, and other things are, are sort of reappearing in other bills or in other places. Um, do you think that it's likely that a lot of these issues are going to come back up in in sort of other ways? Well, it's hard to predict. I mean, obviously, um, the proponents of SOPA who thought, I mean, victory was within their grasp and it was a a, a severe disappointment um, when they were not successful, which I recognize. However, we have opportunities um, to work together with content industries and the technology industry because you know, protection of intellectual property is fair. I mean, it's, you know, we have to, it's really the underpinning for the tech, for the tech world as well. So that has to be a common quest. And I think there's plenty of opportunity to do that together. Some of it, I think, is the, um, you know, we we had a, a registrar of copyright that was, did not have a balanced viewpoint. Uh, in my judgment, and based on her public comments. That has, we have a new librarian, and that has sort of gone into, I mean, obviously the registrar is in favor of copyrights. She's the head of the copyright office. (laughs) But it hasn't been an adversarial thing. It's, you know, they are pursuing, they're doing the, um, they have a, a little hearing function that nobody's complaining about. They did some smart stuff. For example, the right to repair where you had monopolies essentially hijacking copyright law by throwing a piece of code on a piece of equipment uh, to, you know, it had nothing to do with protecting content. And, yeah. you know, when I raised that with, you know, content owners, they're very nervous. They didn't want to do anything and really didn't have to go through law. It's just been done in a regulatory basis. And it didn't, there was no problem for content holders. It's really the monopolist in the auto industry more than any other in the, and the, yeah. um, that, that got put back to where they needed to be. You know, we're uh, making progress. We're making progress. Yeah. And so somewhat along those lines, um, another question, you know, and it, it, it bugged me throughout the SOPA fight was, was, and I did try and make that point that like, you know, in terms of like the sort of Hollywood Silicon Valley comparison, which is like the easy one from, from the California standpoint, because you have the North and South and and like, they should be working together. And now we we're seeing that they are. And historically there's always been this thing where every time there's like a new technology that comes out, the VCR being the the biggest example, you have the, the Hollywood side freak out. And then a few years after they freak out, they realize they're actually making more money because of that technology. If they had only embraced it in in the first place. Um, But, but we have this other question, which is, you know, the, 
a lot of the attacks on the internet today, especially around Section 230, um, actually do seem to be, you know, perhaps more sneakily coming from from the same sources that that brought about SOPA. And so there is a sense among some that this is kind of like revenge of SOPA, <laughs> you know, of the, the failure of SOPA is now to attack 230 and to, to, to push bad antitrust proposals and bad other proposals as just kind of like, you know, you beat us on SOPA, now we're going to make your life problematic uh, in other ways. How much of that do you think is actually driving some of the discussion? Well, I, I have no idea. Um, but I, I do think that um, there's been greater sophistication technologically in every sector. Um, and I remember Jack Valeni, I liked a lot, I mean, just as a person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he fought in World War II. He stood up for civil rights when he worked for LBJ. Really a wonderful man but not very technologically skilled. And you know, he came into my office and was talking about VCRs and it was the end of the world. It's like, well, no, it's not going to be, you know? And um, it, it, it didn't make him a bad person I, I, at all. I mean, he was someone who did wonderful things uh, for our country. And yet, you know, his technological approach was not useful. Yeah. I think that's that's no longer the case. You have sophisticated players in um, in the movie sector and in the in the music sector and others. And there may be I I don't know who is doing what and why. I never like to speculate, but I do think that there has been a merging of tech and content industries in a way that's very different than ten years ago. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's very true. Um, well, I, I don't want to keep you longer. We've already sort of hit hit the hour, uh, and I appreciate all the time that you have given us. Uh, and so I just want to, to thank you for, for taking this time, for having this conversation. Um, I think it was really interesting for me. I hope it was interesting for, for everyone else. There's, there's all of these important issues, and looking back and understanding today and looking forward, I think is, is super important. And well, I, thank I really you, Mike. This is a lot of fun. And uh, let's stand up for freedom, huh? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. With the help of of the wider internet. Uh, and so with that, I'm going to turn off the, the stage broadcast. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to go back to sort of the floor layout uh, and people can stick around where we have this open for another half an hour. Or so I'd like to have some, some conversation on the floor. You can move around, talk to other folks uh, and, and, I guess, mingle and network like we used to when we could do it in person. Uh, but uh, thank you once again uh, to Zoe uh, for taking the time and having this wonderful conversation. And uh, we'll talk to everyone later. Okay. Thanks.